Last week on Let's Talk Supply Chain, I spoke to the shipping lawyer, Alison Cusack, all the way from Melbourne, Australia, about what she is doing at Cusack & Co., how she is changing how we look at lawyers and shipping lawyers, how they can help us, how she can help us and help shippers and help businesses with their contracts and also the leading technology that she has come up with uh, for the industry when it comes to insurance. I hope you were listening and got some great insights from the episode to take back to your own teams and hopefully we will see you starting to work with Allison very, very soon because she is saving corporations so, so much time and money. You can catch up now by heading over to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community, new innovations, and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. E2Open is an end-to-end supply chain software platform helping the largest companies in the world with the most complex supply chains in the world. They are partnering with their customers on collaboration, visibility, network connectivity, and handling disruptions. And they see that the ultimate value lies in people and meeting their needs. That's why they partner with their customers. If you are looking for an end-to-end supply chain solution, check out e2open.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. This week, you're going to find me at the user conference for demand-driven technologies. And we are doing a segment all about the history, and I just, I can't wait. If you're going to be there, can't wait to see you. Today, I'm excited to welcome a global leader in real estate services and investment management, operating in sectors all the way from government to golf courses and providing expertise on everything from valuations to project management. This business is a true industry leader. Have you guessed who it is? Well, let's find out after our question of the week. So the question of the week, what do you think is the biggest misconception about working in supply chain? Everybody loved this question. We got over 60 comments on my personal page. Larry says that procurement is a subset or cousin of supply chain. Uh, Nick, that's a great question. One thing I now know is that people think supply chain is just about delivery. Davin says that it is boring and only focuses on cost management. Cheryl says there's a misconception that supply chain and logistics are interchangeable terms. Isn't that so true? Shay Dixon was saying that she had a conversation with a client about the difference Uh, the other day. Simon, I'd answer the question, and what do you do at social gatherings? And I'd answer, I help companies predict their future. 
Sarah Scudder, I can't pick just one. My top two. One, supply chain is boring and uncool. And two, supply chain equals warehousing and fulfillment. Tom Napier, I find that most people think it's boring. Sounds like that is something that is across the board. Pow says that it is about cost cutting. Jonathan says, I think it would be a pretty common view that supply chain workers drive trucks or work in warehouses. Piyush says supply chain is just common sense. This statement is the biggest misconception. Sheldon, that it's all about warehouses, hard hats, and clipboards. And Lisa, that you can't change industries once you have worked in one for a while. Michael, some of my undergraduate students have the perception that working in supply chains is not as exciting as other areas, which is true. We do hear a lot about that, but it's also a really, really big misconception. Crystal, that new hires can't provide insight. Sometimes companies have blind spots that new hires can identify. Peter, that it is only a small part of business business's cost structure, roughly 3% on average. Bettina requires a bunch of fancy tech tools. I love that. Natalie, supply chain is a stepping stone into marketing or sales or a better career. Um, Dario, that all our issues fit on an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Rosalia says, I often don't hear a, a misconception, rather see a puzzled face when I say I work in supply chain. Tim, that people outside our profession know what supply chain is and how it works. Thank you so much to everybody who weighed in on the question of the week. We ask this question every single Wednesday morning on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And now we're also going to be asking our question of the week in our clubhouse room that runs uh, at noon Eastern on Wednesdays. Now back to today's podcast and which powerhouse organization do I have with me today? Well, it's Collier's International. Collier's is a leading diversified professional services and investment management company with operations in 67 countries. More than 18,000 enterprising professionals work collaboratively to provide expert advice to real estate occupiers, owners, and investors. With annualized revenues of over $3 billion, Collier's are maximizing the potential of property and accelerating the success of their clients and people. Today, Matt McGregor, Executive Vice President at Collier's International, joins me to chat all about Collier's wide range of services and sectors, key changes in the market, and exactly what businesses should be considering right now when it comes to property. Let's learn a little bit about Matt before we dive in. Matt McGregor specializes in the representation of industrial tenants and capital deployment across the United States and abroad. Matt is a supply chain expert with a pending Master of Science in Supply Chain from Michigan State University, as well as a certificate in supply chain from Georgia Tech. Matt was an SIOR Broker of the Year in 2019 and 2013 and was awarded as a top 10 national broker in 2020 by National Real Estate Forum. Matt was awarded with the Industrial Development of the Year for Washington State 2020. Matt discusses everything related to industrial commercial real estate on his international podcast, Industrial Advisors, found on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts. The production is the top-rated industrial podcast and is followed in 18 countries. So welcome to the show, Matt. 
Thank you so much. Great to be here. I am excited to have you join me today. I mean, with everything going on right now and with the conversations that are happening around commercial real estate, you know, I'm really looking forward to talking to you and finding out what your team has been up to and what you think the future of commercial real estate is going to look like. I mean, so much has changed over the last year, and I, I think that we are there's going to be a lot of people looking forward to this conversation as well. But before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into industrial real estate? For sure. So uh, you, uh, my name is Matt McGregor. I partner with Bill Condon. We're here at Colliers International. Colliers is one of the largest commercial real estate firms in the world with about 560 offices in 63 countries um, and certainly one of the largest industrial platforms in the world, which is specifically what we focus on. So we do all things industrial fulfillment, distribution, uh, and logistics and supply chain type facilities. So we focus on those, whether it's uh, representing large tenants um, and, and, and building them and leasing them uh, or acquiring them. Awesome. Yeah, you just kind of answered the next question that I had for you, but what does, um, what does that offering specifically look like? Like what kind of customers are you working with in this space? So we're, we're really focused on larger occupiers. So it can be the 3PL world, it can be the distribution um, world. Um, so we, we do all things under the brokerage umbrella uh, with, with, a, with a special really bent, we'll get into that in, in the supply chain world. So any large occupiers of space, and again, in fulfillment, distribution, and even manufacturing uh, inside the industrial box. And so Kind of our services include your typical negotiating brokerage skills, um, but really geared towards site selection. And we get everything into uh, total strategy. So we, we operate um, from perspective, let's say a company has a hundred locations. We'll get into their business strategies and help them define what the strategies are. Do they lease, do they buy, do they do both in certain markets? Do they 3PL out? Um, all of those strategies. And then we get into obviously the physical real estate, but bigger than that, uh, we get into labor analytics, inbound and outbound freight analytics, incentives, power and utility analytics to really give you a total cost analysis as opposed to just focusing on, on the real estate. Wow, that's amazing. You know, when I when I think about commercial real estate, I don't really think about all of those different elements that you're talking about bringing to the table. Um, but those are all elements that are super important to somebody looking at that kind of space, looking at making that investment and, you know, definitely upstream from that investment that you don't really hear a lot about. And one of the things that really is interesting to me is how you and your team are specializing in that. Like you're specializing in supply chain and logistics and you specifically, you're currently doing a uh, master's in supply chain management. So what made you personally want to pursue that? Um, because most brokers, I mean, they don't typically go out and get advanced degrees. So what, did, what do you find so fascinating about supply chain and why do you feel that it's an important um, piece in your toolbox and, and your repertoire to have? Well, that's a great question. And I would say it was time is timely that we did it with with all things that changed in supply chain. And we'll, we'll get into yeah. kind of what has happened over this last year. But to answer your question, Bill and I, you know, kind of rose to the top of the brokerage industry. And, and, and in about 2015, we realized, OK, we're at the top of this game. And at the top, it, it, there was a lot of good teams and we felt a little commoditized. And I think that the 
uh, top clients, you know, maybe you're working with an Amazon or a Walmart or something. When you get there, the top teams were a bit of a commodity, kind of commodity, and we we didn't want it just relationship driven. So we were looking at it, saying, how do we, what tools could we uh, investigate and 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 add to our offering that would separate us from competition? So believe it or not, we actually pulled in a consulting team and went out to 40 clients. Uh, with a bunch of questions, drove them crazy for a while. 34 <laughs> of them responded. Uh, and the biggest thing that came back uh, was that uh, the brokers didn't understand their industries and they looked at it um, very myopically from a real estate perspective, which when we look at total occupancy costs, real estate is what we think about a lot. But from the client's perspective, it's usually number four or five on their balance sheet um, and logistics, transportation, labor, uh, all of those things are a much bigger piece. So when we looked at it from a real estate perspective, uh, that might be anywhere um, from six to maybe in a 3PL world up to 30% of their costs, but still the majority of those costs were outside of real estate. So understanding how the companies looked at it took a sophisticated approach and we realized that um, boy, there's a lot to learn here from supply chain analytics. So we spent about a year investigating, how do we learn this? What is the best way? And we researched it and we uh, not only joined a ton of uh, institutional um, committees and supply chain um, groups and, and conferences, but then we researched the number one program in the United States, several years running, nine years running, I think, which was the Masters of Science uh, in Supply Chain at Michigan State. We both uh, applied for it, got in. They're still ranked number one, and literally we are on our last four weeks of that program. Thank goodness. Um, and so, uh, so then we took that the analytics from all that and formed a team around it, uh, so that we can go in and do a total cost analysis. So, a lot of times, um, and I know this is a long-winded answer to this question, and I'll wrap this up. But a lot of times. The type of services that we offer uh, historically have been brought in if you're looking at one state versus another. Say you've got a million square foot requirement and you're looking at Indiana versus Kentucky. And so all of those analytics would be reserved for those larger deals. We've brought those tools into even if you're in a small market and maybe you're looking at this one building for 100,000 feet versus three miles away, this other building. Through our analytics, we can show you there might be a you know 11% difference in, in yield on that asset in that very close proximity market. Um, and so we offer that uh, as a total cost offering so that we really understand their business and how this particular asset or building fits into that. Amazing. I'm so glad you took the time to share <laughs> that with us because I think that it's a new approach that we don't see a lot of times, but what we're seeing as a trend in a variety of different ways is viewing it from a holistic perspective. And that's, that's right. what you guys are really doing. And, but really taking the time to really understand the industry. And I'm sure, you know, your eyes completely opened with some of the, the answers that you got back from your customers and from people in the industry and the pivot that you've been able to make through that data 
is just a testament to what you're bringing to the industry and how you feel about the industry. Because at the end of the day, supply chainers are passionate about this industry and they want to work with other people who are passionate about it as well. And you're putting in the work and I, I really love that. So I've got two questions around that. One is sustainability. So all of these analytics, you know, a lot of corporations and companies are looking at different, different, um, aspects of potentially a sustainability program. Some of that would include some of that footprint, maybe, you know, lighting and how they can reduce their, their carbon footprint through lighting. Is that something that came up for you and how are you addressing that? Yeah, it does come up. Um, it, it doesn't come up as much as all of those other cost factors. Okay. Um, I think, I, I think, unfortunately, um, you know, distribution fulfillment centers haven't got there from a sustainability perspective to most companies are looking at it going, okay, do, you know, do I want to incur these extra costs and, and where is that, is that beneficial? Certainly in the office environment, the studies are there with recruitment and retention. Yeah. And from the warehouse perspective, um, yes, I mean, you're, you're bringing it in, but to the d- degree of what we're going to see in the future, I think we're at the very, very beginning stages of it. And it's very expensive still. Yeah. Um, you know, I've done a lead certified, I haven't done a lead gold warehouse yet, but I've done a lead certified one and the added costs are substantial. Um, mm. and you've got very few, uh, companies yet that, that, that have realized the benefits of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think as costs come down and, uh, there are improvements in that and, and it's more recognized that I think we'll see more of that. We are seeing more of it, uh, in the warehouse related with things like celestatory windows, uh, when they tilt panels. So when, uh, concrete tilt-up warehouses and fulfillment centers. There are, of course, tilted panels that can be anywhere from 32 to 40 foot clear today. Um, and they're now putting windows in those panels as opposed to uh, prior that they would just be you know, concrete can- panels and then you would have skylights. And so, so they're start- certainly getting a lot more lighting in there naturally. And then in addition to LEDs and then LEDs with motions that obviously turn off uh, behind the movement of the forklift and, and or person that are timed. And so all of those factors, I would say, are now in most warehouses that are being built uh, in a very short amount of time. None mm-hmm. of those things were in warehouses, say, even five and six years ago. Yeah. And so from that perspective, uh, but in most markets, we're not seeing um, uh, some of the stuff, say, that we're seeing in SoCal, which would be, you know, panels, uh, um, uh, solar panels on top of the roofs and things like that, so are self-sustainable building. Um very rarely do I do I see that. I'd love to see more of that uh, yeah. in the future. Yeah. Well, and I think I think you nailed it on the head with you know it's we're just at the starting of that journey, and mm-hmm. it's going to be exciting to see where that goes. I know when we had a warehouse, we had the motion censored lighting. And that obviously really helped in not only from a cost perspective, but also contributing back to, you know, the environment um, and what we were taking from it um, from a power perspective. So tell us what happened to industrial real estate and e-commerce in 2020. I mean, Collier's regularly carry out great (laughs) research and you've already pointed that out. Um, You also released a retail report for winter 2020, which showed that retail is making a comeback and that while consumer confidence hasn't returned to pre-pandemic levels, it has seen an upswing. I've been also doing some research on this and, you know, Walmart's e-commerce orders are going through the roof. 
Um, and so I'm really interested in all of this because I've had guests on the show recently talking about innovating the last mile, investing in customer service and so on. So what did this change mean for your market? Um, and can we start to feel confident that a period of maybe stability is on the way? Are people looking for more space? Um, one other question is around micro warehousing. Are you seeing more requests for that as well? Yeah, well, let's start uh, at the end of 2019 to, to answer this question. At the two, end of 2019, of all retail sales, 14% uh, were, uh, were online. That took a decade to jump from 9% to 14%. So it was kind of a slow grind uh, right. related with, with where that was going. And it was subject to just a few companies, obviously Walmart and Amazon, to name a couple. So it was a really slow grind to um, to introduce e-commerce. So at the end of December in 2019, 14% of all retail sales were online. Fast forward, end of 2020, 36% wow. was, was online. So a massive growth, uh, a, a massive change. And, and we obviously know the reasons, but we all have you know parents and stuff that would have never bought groceries online. My, mine, for example, there was no chance they would have ever done that. And now they're probably never going back, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they learned how to use the apps. Uh, they've learned how to do all this. Uh, most people say that the growth we had in 2020 inside those four quarters from a retail perspective converting to online was all the growth that we would have had in the next five to seven years. Wow. So that's where we came from and that's where we are. In comparison, in 2019, um, Japan and Korea, for example, already had 51% pre-COVID of all retail online. So we were already way behind. Mm -hmm. So then that, that I think goes to the question of where are we going? Well, we're still way behind uh, more advanced nations on technology related with e-commerce. And so I think the, that the bandwidth, and we're seeing it now more than ever, we are seeing massive companies take down huge fulfillment centers um, all over the major markets in the U.S., uh, Amazon did over a thousand deals in 2020. Wow, uh, crazy in, in North America. So, um, so just crazy numbers. And I would say right now we are seeing more activity than we saw in 2020 in most major markets across the United States. So that growth in e-commerce, although I would concur that when we, as the states continue to open up and hopefully COVID subsides as, as people get vaccinated that we start to see um, a little bit of change in people going back to retail but at the same time the growth will slow down we're not going to go from 14 to 36 percent we're not going to see that growth again but mm -hmm. we're going to see a much bigger growth year over year than we ever saw before because of the amount of people that are very comfortable shopping online and, and are starting to prefer that so we, we will see a resurgence in in brick and mortar retail uh, but you'll continue to see them have to adjust their footprints. You're, I think that the retailers have to rethink um, you know, their mega big box type stores and go to more showroom type things and then online ordering to, to supplement that. So you're going to see that. And you, you asked about those micro facilities. That's the type of things that we're going to see is fulfillment out the back door of some of those um, uh, things as, as opposed to just fulfillment centers. So you'll see some of that micro uh, type fulfillment. Obviously, some companies are doing it right out of their retail outlets, which is a challenge, I will tell you. Uh, I don't think that's a sustainable model. 
Um, but I think we're still in the beginning stages. And I think within say five years in the US that we will you know, be over that 50 percentile mark. And so we'll, we'll, we'll continue to see growth in that. Um, the only unfortunate thing I'll say about that is it is really the who's who uh, companies that, that are booming and expanding and have the capability of retooling their entire network uh, to adjust to this. It takes a lot of capital infrastructure to go in and do that. Yeah. So we're seeing the smaller companies across the U.S., unfortunately, really, really getting hurt. Um, and a lot of the square footage that I'm talking about, market after market setting absorption records, is with, within a very small uh, number of hands. Right, right. And that makes sense. So one of the questions that I have for you, are, are did the requirements change with that kind of growth? Did you see, and I, I know you're not in the robotics space, but did you see more uh, requirements around having facilities that are going to be equipped in a certain way to be able to handle some of the techno technological advancements, I guess, that maybe they want to have in their warehouses when they're looking at the warehouse space or to accommodate drones or to accommodate robotics? Certainly robotics, we are right there with drones. You're starting to see drone technology inside of the box doing things like inventory control. Yeah. Um, um, but we are, we are certainly seeing the robotics um, uh, change the way the floors are done and things okay. like that um, in, in, in large spaces. But I would say the boxes are still looking very similar. Yeah. Uh, they're certainly requiring a lot more yards, um, yard space. Uh, and we are seeing robotics and even autonomous trucking uh, in the yard space. We can touch on autonomous trucking. Uh, we are seeing a lot of that in, in yard space now uh, that doesn't require city roads and, and highways. Uh, but I would say the biggest change in the box right now is uh, multi-story. So you're getting fulfillment on multi-story. Certainly that last mile is multi-story as even, even trucks being able to go up uh, extra stories because of the cost of land. So we're seeing the change in that last mile infrastructure of multi-story warehouse. And then on the big box, we're seeing a lot more need for very large trailer storage. And one of the, the reasons for that, and the reason why yesterday's buildings were not designed with that is we've had a consolidation both in shippers and then bigger ships. So what happens is uh, rather than the slow, steady supply chain of trickling of containers in, that people have time to grab them, put them in the warehouse, the ships come in and they're much bigger and, and, and they're dropping all these at once. And if you leave them in ports, uh, it could be say $250 a day of storage. Yeah. Uh, and so all of a sudden they need these yards to put these containers while they're um, bringing them into the warehouse and fulfilling them. Huh. And so um, so we're seeing a, a big change in, in that yard spaces is really, um, King and, and some of the older buildings that don't have them are suffering for, for occupancy. So when you say yard space, explain that to me just in case somebody in the audience doesn't know what that means. For sure. So, you know, if you have a, let's say you have a 500,000 foot warehouse and, 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 uh, and it has a certain amount of doors for uh, truck trailer trucks to come up and park. In addition to that, you have a space, say next door or in front of that building that would be for containers that are either empties or they're full containers waiting to come in uh, to be checked into the warehouse. And so 
uh, let's say you have a 500,000 foot building in the past, they might not have built yard with it because right. again, we just didn't need that capacity. Now I would say a 500,000 feeder needs at least say, say four to seven or even 10 acres of yard with wow. that, depending on the market and depending on how close the port it is. And that yard needs to be secured and, and lit. And, 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 um, and so from a technology standpoint, you're, you're starting to see, you know, autonomous yard dogs, which is the little tr truck that then spins it over to the door and stores it and, and, and um, you know, does it in an efficient way without manpower. Um, so we're mm -hmm. starting to see that. We're even starting to see, by the way, on technology side, and this is going to a different thing, but we can touch on it whenever you want. Uh, we are starting to see autonomous trucking, which I think is going to be one of the one of the things in the next five to seven years that revolutionizes the distribution industry. So explain that to me, because when you say autonomous truck, myself and probably most of the audience think about the trucks on the actual road. But I don't mm -hmm. think you're talking about that. You're talking about more of the smaller vehicles within that yard space moving containers back and forth to the doors? Both. So, okay. yes. So a yard dog is a little... Uh, rather than having the full cab tr tractor that has a dr you know, driver that a licensed tractor trailer driver that that needs to move a container, a yard dog is, is a much smaller one that can move that container without going out on the public road. Hmm. Most of our dogs are not a licensed vehicle, so it's just right. made for spinning those containers around to the yard, to the doors, and we are seeing those be autonomous now. So hmm. no driver in them, and certainly they're not going out on a road, so they're not uh, having to follow certain uh, laws related with the road. We are, we've been seeing autonomous trucks uh, change the, the landscape over the last five years. A lot of firms have been dumping a ton of money into this. And I, based on the studies that I've read, by 2029, 2030, the majority of long haul trucks on the major highways in the United States will be autonomous. And I'll give you an example. There, Walmart has been running a test fleet, fleet of pilots up and down the highway from the Port of uh, Long Beach in California into Arizona for, I would say, about five years now. Started out with pilot trucks, and, and now it's uh, an unmanned truck with a, with a driver in the back in case of emergencies. But they've been doing this route for four or five years up and down that highway. I think it's Highway 10. Wow. It uh, cuts out of the ports into Arizona. Several other firms are investing a lot of money and in infrastructure into this because you could imagine the change in supply chain and, and distribution if a truck can go 24 hours without bathroom breaks, right. without the 10-hour drive log limits and, and, mm -hmm. and all everything that goes with that. If that truck can just go in an efficient way, you're completely changing the dynamics of how things have to come in the United States, which ports... It doesn't, doesn't have to necessarily hit rail if, if autonomous trucks become very right. efficient. And so there is a massive amount of infrastructure money going into those studies, and it's clearly working. And, and I would say that based, I, I would be very surprised if it wasn't the dominant amount of long haul trucks being autonomous within that kind of five to seven year time frame. And that's going to change. That's going to change our port system for sure. 
Oh, it absolutely is. And and then we're, you know, we could go into all sorts of things like Hyperloop and all that kind of stuff. So that's going down a bit of a rabbit hole. But what, but I think one of the biggest questions that I want to ask you today, and I think it's on everybody's mind because now everybody's working remotely. We're talking about, you know, the hybrid of, you know, maybe having to go into the office, maybe companies staying remote. Um and that's all because of COVID. I mean, we've touched on COVID a little bit when we talked about the warehousing side. But what is the impact that it's made for you, your team, maybe Collier's, on the actual office space itself? Has it had an impact? Do you think there's going to be an impact? What, what, what does that look like? For us as a brokerage team, or are you asking about my clients? Uh, both. Yeah. So both. I would say... Um, for us in a, as an industrial team, here's, here's what it did. And, and we're all back in the office now. Um, Zoom meetings are great. Um, you know, that technology, um, you know, whatever it is, Teams, Zoom, there are several others, Chime, um, that technology is great. But for example, if my business partner and I, Bill Condon and I, um, we are kind of interchangeable with our clients and, and we have offices right next door to each other. And then we have our team that's um, all in front of us. And what it eliminated was about 40 uh, unplanned meetings and conversations a day, <laughs> right? right? All of a sudden I run in and, you know, got a problem on a deal. What do you, what do you think about this? How should we handle this in a lease? We've got this situation. And, and that spur of the moment, 40 unplanned meetings um, and strategy sessions are not replaceable on Zoom. Okay, right. Because you're scheduling a call and you're not just going to call a guy. If I called Bill 40 times a day, <laughs> he would want to kill me. Um, and so, you know, it, you're more scheduling everything and it changes that environment. And I would say it slowed us down for yeah. sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you just don't get the same dynamics when I, you know, I can open my door and talk to seven or eight different people about a situation and, and, and pull together a quick meeting. Um that really changed the dynamic and that was really tough for me personally. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I think that there is a, you know, we're, um, you know, we're not a tech company, but we use tech. Um, and I think, you know, doing virtual tours and all of that, we all did our job in COVID to try to be inventive so that we could continue to be safe mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and quash the virus, but at the same time be productive. Yeah. Um, but it's it's hard to replace face to face. It's and true. It, yeah. yeah. And so for for me personally, that was the issue, and I I love the fact that we're back. <laughs> and what about uh, for your customers? What are you hearing about from from their standpoint? Yeah, for the clients, you know, COVID was really really tough because you know, for example, if you've got a fulfillment center, if you've got a warehouse distribution center, um, first you were just dealing with people getting sick. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, in the beginning, you were shut down if somebody got sick, right? Which was, you know, an issue in itself. But then you're separating people. And you can imagine those environments were not made for that. And so trying to separate people really, really dramatically drove labor costs way, way up. Huh. Uh, slowed production okay. down, um, you know, and, and certainly the social distancing changed a lot of the environment for people. Um, and it just slowed things down and, and create, made them a lot more expensive. So... I think um, some of those things are going to have to be implemented, I think, long term. Yeah. Uh, and some of them hopefully will get back to some sense of new, the new normal. 
Yeah. Um, but I would say overall, whether it was manufacturing, distribution, or fulfillment, it was a slowdown of process and an increase of labor. Great points. And so let's talk about moving into 2021 or being in 2021 and how do we move forward into our new normal um, with, you know, retail maybe stabilizing like we talked about. What should distribution, fulfillment, and manufacturing businesses be thinking about when it comes to property? Is it something that they need to think about right now because, you know, they're not going to be able to get something until down the road, maybe six months, 12 months, which is something that we ran into back in, I think that was the beginning of 2019. Are the rates coming down? Should we, should they expand? Should they hold off? Should they lease or should they maybe purchase? I know that that's a loaded question, but all things that are top of mind for supply chain professionals right now. Yeah, that's a lot of questions in there that I would say, you know, the first thing is you got to understand your supply chain. Okay, yeah. so that's outside the physical real estate, but it, it, it means what size of building and how many buildings. So you got to understand the supply chain of, of what are the disruptors um, long term, where you're getting that product from. There's certainly changes related with that, yes. um, I would say, from a geopolitical issue. So you have to understand what your threats are of, of that inbound freight coming mm -hmm. in, assuming that it's coming in from outside of the United States. Uh, once you figure that out, then you gotta, you gotta figure out, uh, once we get that into a facility, how quickly to be competitive, what is our goal to get that back out to our end customer? Is it one day, okay. is it two day? You know, yeah. How long is it? Then that would be you know, network optimization and how many facilities do we need it and where do we need those facilities? So designing that, uh, and then it answers your question on the supply chain with, with it coming in, uh, what the frequency and what the risk and how much backstock, you know, do you, and that do you need to, uh, to mitigate that risk? And so that will tell you how big those facilities are. And, and you know, that storage in, in the past, you know, there's been all sorts of uh, methodologies to cut that storage down. Now it's increased the storage because, for example, you know, you've got uh, container ships sitting with a two and three week delay outside of the ports of LA and Long Beach. Mm -hmm. um, that's an issue, right? Yeah. You lost sales. And, and, and so that, I think that's a short term um, thing, but certainly you have to look at all of these things and, and then factor in uh, where those facilities need to be and how big they need to be in order to um, hit your business objectives. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now let's get into the fun part of this conversation. Not that it hasn't <laughs> been fun already, but this is one of my favorite questions okay. um, because I'd like you to paint a picture, like give us a real life example of how you've helped a customer um, you know, what was the challenge that they came to you with? What was the solution that you provided? And what was the impact or the benefit on their business from working with you and your team? Yeah, I would say uh, one of our larger customers grows by acquisition. And so their network is always being tweaked and challenged because they're grabbing something that might have 30 more facilities. And how are you going to implement this into do we lease do we own do we, you know do we do bigger facilities smaller facilities it was highly complex and you know and and something that we had to take a deep dive into understanding all elements kind of going back to that survey that we did you got to understand their business like you work there and right. i can't name the company but i can tell you i feel like i, I am an employee or or an owner <laughs> of that actually i own a lot of stocks uh, of the company but uh I certainly feel like I'm in, in ownership. I understand their goals and objectives. 
and coming up with a formula uh, weighted a lot of risks and 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 so we ended up saying okay certain types of facilities that had high risk threshold and that we were going to be in those facilities a long time those were kind of the manufacturing ones those were ownership based because we didn't want to be leveraged by a landlord that knew it, knew we had a right. 10 million dollar move cost right and the, those are some of the worst comps you see uh, mm-hmm. are those heavy infrastructure deals and so we looked at that and looked at the opportunity cost you know because the, the reason why people lease for or lease versus own is quite often the opportunity of parking that money in physical real estate yeah. Um, is outmatched by that putting that money back into the growth of that company that has a higher yield. Yeah. But if you're going to uh, be risk, uh, have a major risk on uh, on that physical real estate, and that's going to end up you know costing you a lot more. Those are the assets that we ended up in ownership. And then from the distribution network, we redid their network. Um, com- we did a complete network optimization to where we we're actually able to increase their business by about 11% over three years wow. uh, because they were able to gain so much market share uh, by cutting down that delivery time and getting that product to the customer faster than their competitors did. So we retooled their entire network to the point where they own the right building and lease the right buildings, and more importantly, lease those buildings in the right locations uh, that fit their overall business strategy and increase their revenue and cut costs by consolidation. So it was like a win-win-win all the way around. Uh, required a lot of sophisticated modeling and a lot of people on my team that um, did a lot of analytical work. Uh, yeah. And in the end, we've got a very, very happy customer. Yeah, that's an amazing story. I'm glad that you shared that with us because now we can truly see the power of working with the right partner when you're looking at potentially expanding that real estate or looking at how you're planning what that looks like in your supply chains and how important it is to have somebody that understands the industry and can help you actually increase your market share through industrial real estate. I mean, it's not something that you hear about every single day. And I think that's what sets you guys apart from obviously anybody else that's on the market. And I'm glad you shared that with us. So tell me, what is the future for you and your team? What does it look like? Great question. Um, I would say, uh, you know, I've got a few weeks left here of school. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting that uh, behind us. Uh, certainly, we're continuing to in, in investigate technology that helps our clients. So we have, um, we actually have an innovation specialist on our team that just researches that for us and tells us what conferences to go to and, and where to go to, to, so that we're always cutting edge, so that we understand you know, how a drone's going to affect a, a warehouse, how, how, how um, you know, onshoring or nearshoring is going to affect our clients and that we can, that we can consult with them at a high level um, mm-hmm. and, and help them. How autonomous trucking is going to change and then when, you know, a lot of people think, oh, oh, that's future, you know, way, way, way out. It's not. It's right here and now. Um, so we're investing heavily in research and technology on that. We're obviously invested in, in our education. And I would say more than anything, we're really focused on um, helping our customers do, you know, major site selection, network optimization, and picking the right facilities. So, continuing to understand the markets and all of the intricacies of how to figure that figure that out, and advise people on total cost analysis. 
I love it. And what an interesting conversation. I mean, I never know when I go into these interviews where we're going to go and some of the topics we're going to talk about. And I love how we covered so much ground today and, and the opportunity to, you know, cross industries and sectors and talk about the interconnection between them all. And it certainly got me thinking more about the potential of property, working with a team like yours, industrial real estate, and what that could mean for not only our audience, but supply chain professionals in general. So a big thank you to you, Matt, for co- joining us today on the show. I'm, I'm just Absolutely. so happy you could be here and, and share some of those stories with us today. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure being on. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. If you would like to hear more, we have plenty more podcasts for you featuring the best and brightest in the industry. Head over to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast to check out the latest. Plus, we've got a category filter for any solution or company that you are looking for. Just use that filter. And remember to come back next week as I am talking to Susan, who is the founder of Top Rank Marketing, and we are talking all about influencer marketing, what that means for your business, and so, so much more. I can't wait for you to tune into that one. If you enjoy our podcast, there's a few ways to support the show. You can follow us, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and now Clubhouse. Or you can also subscribe to us on YouTube at Let's Talk Supply Chain, as well as subscribe to our newsletter at letstalksupplychain.com. Next, visit ships.com and sign up. That's S-H-I-P-Z.com. We are in full beta and we want forwarders, we want shippers on our platform to streamline the pricing of your air and ocean freight shipments, gain access to more choice worldwide and utilize the best of data to reduce shipping risks. And you won't want to miss out on our platform. You can also find some really cool merch and purchase our exclusive supply chain dictionary in our shop at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop. And remember, if you would like to be featured on an upcoming episode, all you've got to do is go to Apple podcast, rate and review the show, and we will feature your review on an upcoming episode great week everyone thanks for listening and remember ship happens